The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. Back to school, the pod is returned. And we have something for you that, according to Bobby Gillespie, is warm and fat and has a good bottom end. No, not Alan McGee. More on that later as we talk about cassette store day. We have tracks from The Pixies, Natasha Khan and John Hopkins, and Ace Hood in Singles Club. Plus, we'll be previewing the weekend's treats at Festival. Michael Han. Hello, Alexis. Hello, Kieran. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well. How delightful to see you it's, both it's, again. It's nice to see you too. Um, I mean, because it's actually not a lie. We might think we're staging this on the grounds that actually we see each other all the time. But I was off work for five weeks this summer, so I didn't see either of you for last chunks of time. No, absolutely. And Kieran's been to every festival going. Yep. I, I love Ke- Kieran, a green man. What a video that <laughs> Amazing. was. Amazing. Amazing. It's broadened your horizons. It has. I... Um I discovered a Scandinavian folk band, which Michael has since told me are actually quite well-known and not niche at all, called Kings of Convenience. Uh-huh. But I actually really liked them, and they were really funny on stage, and I downloaded their music after. Wow. Uh, there you go. Yeah. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. Journey of discovery. A journey of discovery to Wales, <laughs> to the Brecon Beacons. Yeah. Um, uh, news. News. What's been going on in the news this week? Lady Gaga and Vaining Swinefest, surely, Alexis. Was, and you were there. I was there. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a weird gig. All told, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for Lady Gaga. And there's a lot to be said for her sort of stagecraft and, and all that kind of thing. But um, it was a very oddly paced gig insofar as she did this thing that was, I suppose, quite interesting, which was a slightly sort of deconstruction of the ordinary pop show where all her costume changes took place on stage. I mean, she literally took all her clothes off on stage mm. at one point and was, you know, had dresses and was putting wigs on and da da da. But that meant that there was, she did seven songs and the gaps between the songs were incredibly long, aided by the. Uh, the fact that she uh, chose to explain the concept behind every song in between each song. Do you buy into that or the kind of no. high art conceptual stuff? No, no, but it's not that I don't buy into it. Um, it's just that, I, 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 that she has this sort of sense that she thinks she's the first person to have done this. <laughs> and, you know, extensive research mm. suggests she probably isn't. You know, there's been a lot of people who've tried to meld art and pop music over the, you know, the who um, and people like that. Um, so there was something sort of a bit not... And also, I just think with Lady Gaga, um, it would be good if just a bit of the uh, attention she expends to how her music was presented was expended on making the music sound a bit more original. Mm. Um, the good songs, I mean, there's a song she did um, called Manicure or Man IQ or something like that. Um, and it just sounds like a massive hit single. But, you know, it doesn't sound that different from everything else in the chart. So it, it, it's always been the way with Lady Gaga. There's this disconnect between how she looks and what she talks about. And she definitely, you know, I've interviewed her. She really knows her stuff about performance art and about, you know, modern art and things like that. Um, but, you know, it doesn't seem to be quite reflected in her music. Does she do the extraordinary mawkish ballad about Princess Diana? From no, when Princess Die. From where? <laughs> Princess Die, yes, with Amazing. the on Die. With, when, I, when I saw it at Twickenham, you know, she dropped three of the hit singles from the set to throw that in, which hadn't been on the set list. And you, wow. Oh, you could feel the joy right I bet, yeah, yeah, the yeah. audience. Yeah, yeah, the audience were a bit <laughs> muted um, at the end of it. She ended with two, two, two ballads, um, one of which is quite a harrowing song, apparently, as far as that goes, about being sexually abused. Um, and, you know, there were no hits and da da da, and the audience were a bit, even the monsters, a bit quiet when she when she left the stage. But what did they go in, kind of crying and wailing and being? They went in excited. wearing sort of pig pig clothes and pig stuff. Clothes. They were all in, and that was it. Because <laughs> loads of them brought in like fluffy pigs, and she'd said, you know, she'd yeah. And so she was making this uh, long 
speech about apparently about being in some sort of abusive relationship, while people <laughs> kept kind of throwing fluffy pigs out, you know, from the audience because it's just you know it wasn't so, so it was it was all a bit odd. But I mean, on the other hand, you know, you don't get any of that when you go and see Jesse J, do you? I, I wouldn't know, I mean, I've never seen Jesse J. Maybe it is all kind of, you know, <laughs> references to Jeff Koons and sexual abuse and people chucking pigs out her, I don't know. Um, wouldn't it be amazing if it were? Just, just t- Lady Gaga's ripped everything off Jesse J. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Miley Cyrus. Yeah, she says she's, uh, her aim at the VMAs was not just to gyrate and get a load of press coverage. It was to make history. I think she succeeded. Uh, she said, well, she cited a lot of precedents. She said, I mean, if you look before at the VMAs, you've had Madonna and Britney Spears. I think she's confusing making history with getting in getting the headlines in the for a few days. And as Justin Timberlake magnificently said, let's keep this in proportion. It was the VMAs, not the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm amazed that people are so sort of bothered by it, really. I am too. I, 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 I find the suggestion that the twerking itself was racist to be a bit yeah. over the top. I, th- I think there's something to be said, the, the role of black women as backing vocalists. But then, Dressed to be honest, teddies. Miley Cyrus didn't invent that. I mean, there's, there's a vast history, and it's one of, those, one of the pop slightly shameful things of, yeah, we're getting the black women who can really sing and put them at the back yeah, of the yeah, stage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose... Appropriating, oh, appropriating black women's sexuality. I don't know, but the, the dancing itself, I just thought was crap rather than <laughs> anything crap, else. Crap dancing. Um, I don't know. What do you for you? You must have views on twerking. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like she. It's I mean, it's really easy to kind of shout cultural appropriation at things like this because mm. she obviously, you know, her dad's Billy Ray Cyrus. She probably didn't grow up in a household where they had a rich. Uh, kind of history of playing lots of hip-hop and she didn't really get that hip-hop education, I would assume. So now she's kind of coming of age and has, um, you know, a little bit of independence and she's kind of being pushed into this world of doing, you know, stuff with French Montana and, you know, lots of people who are kind of at the top of their game in the rap world. Uh, And I think that she's probably got it a bit wrong in a lot of ways, but she's also kind of professing her love for black music and black culture and getting it a little bit wrong but I kind of I kind of rate her for that I, I saw on Twitter the other day Paris Lees you know who commentates on transgender issues quite a lot mm-hmm. um, talking about how she wanted to make a video of herself twerking but she didn't know whether that would be cultural appropriation or not and should she do, should she dare do it but that's kind of the lever things if, if someone like Paris Lees I, she may have been joking she may be serious but if someone like Paris Lees is even throwing this out as who knows what's appropriate then there's a difference crikey. between like cultural sharing and cultural appropriation I think that cultural, Miley hasn't quite I'll tell you what I think cultural appropriation is white blues bands of the 60s taking blues songs and putting their own names on the song right that's yes absolutely Led Zeppelin that's cultural appropriation for you Um, it was not cultural appropriation when breakdancing spread through my almost entirely white school like wildfire (laughs) and you know people were locking and popping and uh, there was the really hard kid at my school the really hard kid at my school Um, and uh, he had his own breakdance crew um, and there was a breakdance competition at, uh, at the uh, village hall, <laughs> and uh, his, his crew came. His crew came second, and he cried. Is this an Amish? He cried. <laughs> Wasn't the hardest kid in school after that? Is that Amisham or Charlton St Giles or uh, something? That was. Uh, d- uh, that was. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not actually like between fun. between Amersham and Charlton St Giles, <laughs> the ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> Too fair. The project. Times <laughs> were pretty tough in South Bucks in those days. I was going to No, it was. It, I just don't. I just think it, you know. It, it was a. I look back at that, and these sort of kids, you know, 
spinning on the heads and stuff like that. And I think what a, what a joyous and you know gleeful thing it was. And nobody was sort of going, "Oh my God, your shameful reappropriation of, of uh, African American culture." I, I just think uh, I, all I, rock music, is, well, all I, rock I, and roll, is a, is I, a shameful yeah, reappropriation. Also, of African American. I, I think in some of the criticism of Miley Cyrus, there was a big chunk of the resentment of someone who's come through the Disney path becoming a big side it's kind of how dare you i think i think there's a certain element of of sexism in the criticism you're not meant to have a minor you're not meant to make these decisions for yourself we we don't trust we don't believe you and which i find a little bit unpleasant i don't know i don't know it's 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 a uh actually i saw miley cyrus culturally appropriate glam rock when i went to see her live she did i love rock and roll and i thought i was mortally offended everybody Everybody does everybody does i love rock and roll she she did did on a motorcycle going 50 feet above the heads of the audience that was brilliant should have done that at the VMAs. Better than twerking. Mm. Anyway, let us move on. Uh, Saturday, September the 7th is Cassette Store Day, um, which is sort of a version of Record Store Day, but based around cassettes. The clue is in its name. The the three people behind it, all of whom uh, run cassette labels themselves, came in to talk about it. Uh, and we also talked to uh, Rod Thomas, a.k.a. Bright Light, Bright Light, maker of one of the Guardian's albums of the year last year, uh, who, as part of Cassette Store Day, is releasing his album on cassette, his debut album on cassette. However, this is the third time <laughs> that Rod has released uh, the Bright Light Bright album on cassette in various different versions. Um, anyway, so we talked to him to, uh, to, to find out what the lure of the cassette is. I'm waiting for the feeling to get to me and throw me to the floor you found a little place in the back of my mind So just work a little more And think of how you want to spend the rest of your days With all your dreams still in your head And learn to be heard without all of the words no good to me So you're performing, Rod, at Cassette Store? I am at Rough Trade, my first ever in-store in a, in a place like that in London, I think. I'm going to do a solo piano show because the... The thing about this release for Cassettes today is that the A-side is the album and the B-side is a solo piano version of the, the record. Right, right. Now, you, this is, to my knowledge, the third time you've put out your debut album, the third cassette version you've done. Uh, yes. Album. You're clearly a fan <laughs> of, the, of the format. <laughs> I am. I'm a really big fan of the format. I kind of, when I was growing up and started buying music, that's the format that I first bought things on. So in my mind, that's like how records come out. It's a prevalent format in the world of kind of indie music mm. and in the world of kind of noise music and, and punk and things like that. And that's totally not what you do at all. Yeah. It's, it's just a, I find it a really interesting, different sort of take on what cassettes are. I mean, I, I think that's definitely true. Like all the people that have reverted to more vintage or traditional formats like vinyl or um, cassette, it does tend to be more indie bands or something that's much less pop sheen than mm. do you like the actual sound of cassettes do you like yeah i really you? like it i like i like a little bit of hiss um <laughs> I, I remember actually like the first time i heard something that i bought on cassette on a cd and i was like oh my god it's this is like too clear i can't cope with it <laughs> i i like the experience i really like with cassettes that um i tend to listen to them start to finish mm. so i really enjoy that it makes an album an album and the the track listing and the flow is important um, and that's something that I kind of thought of a lot when I was putting my debut record together like the the order and you know whether I would want to skip one song or whether I would fast forward or rewind and mm-hmm. 
to sort of make it more of an experience. And also because I suppose because cassettes are more difficult to fast forward to the point that yeah. you exactly want them, it does kind of force you to listen to the whole yeah. thing. It's sort of easier. Yeah. Just keep on telling me, keep on telling me. I'm waiting for the feeling to get to me and throw me to the floor. Hi, I'm Jen Long. I run a label called Kissability. What is Cassette Store Day? Cassette Store Day is a day to celebrate the format that is the cassette tape. We've ripped off Record Store Day, essentially. Really yeah, Closing the title, in fact. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm Steve Rose. I run a label called Sexbeat and work at Transgressive. A lot of people have been kicking off about the fact that there aren't actually any cassette stores in the world. But see, the thing is, there aren't any... Like, well, there are some record stores, but when you go into most record stores, you have tapes and yeah. CDs and T-shirts and mm. books. Records and, are a pretty minor thing in the scale of uh, shops nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a bit of fun, really. I'm Matt London and I run a cassette label called Suplex Cassettes. What draws you, all three of you, to the, the cassette as a format? I think, for me, it's uh, the affordability of being able to do releases as a, as a label, a cassette label. It's easier to run than a, a normal record label, funds-wise, and it means you can put out anything you want. It's kind of limitless and endless, and you could package them up. You can have a lot more fun with it, and it's. I think it's a really awesome format that it's harder to do with vinyl. You know, vinyl's really expensive, and it's amazing and beautiful, and I still fetishise it, but I think cassettes means it's a, it's a nice starting point for lots of bands, especially when we come from, a lot of us come from indie and punk backgrounds. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a good starting point for a band to do a cassette first. It isn't, isn't the easiest thing for a band to do nowadays to just knock out some MP3s and stick them on? Yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> but I think maybe it's us, and there's some other people who agree with us, is a, it's a physical product. Mm. It's nice to have a physical product than a file on a computer, which will get yeah. lost when you move. You your can't sell device. them at shows, and people can't see them, and, you know, there's artwork isn't so great on, like, MP3s. Mm. I don't think people really care about them in the same way. Mm-hmm. I know that I don't. Is it's it? almost too easy to put yeah. your yeah. tracks up online. It's almost too many bands put them up before they're actually ready, whereas... And no know. one even cares about this. There's millions of <laughs> yeah. millions of songs on the internet, and, like, no <laughs> one cares about the majority of them. It's a disposable format, an MP3. To what extent are you sort of nostalgically fetishising a dead format? I would say I'm not. Right. I think some I people are. I'm not. I, I'd say there are lots of people who do. I, mean, I was born in early 80s. I grew up with buying cassettes mm. as my first kind of releases, but I don't fetishise that because they can be a real pain as well, cassettes, you know. But I, for me, it's the, the medium. I think it sounds nice. Lots of musicians spend lots of money and time doing stuff on tape rather than doing it on digital. Mm. And, you know, I grew up with four tracks and things like that. And it's it was it was relevant. I could use it. I could record on them. I could swap stuff with my friends and inherit their record collections before the times of downloads. I think mm-hmm. they're just a really good format. Multifunctional. The new Super Walkman. Indisputably, the world's smallest cassette player. I remember, like, when I bought this three cd changer hi-fi thing when i was 15 and you know like the world was blown apart because it could do all these things it could automatically fast forward a tape to the next song it somehow knew how to do that mm-hmm. and that changed everything wow. for me yeah it's high tech it was insane um I, i'm asking 
Uh, I'm asking this of everybody. Do you find it easy to get hold of equipment to play tapes on? I have four tape players in my house. Wow, you have four tape players yeah. in your house. Yeah, it's a very shortage of me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got, um, I've got like a huge old 70s uh, turntable with a tape player in it. I've got two hi-fi systems, three hi-fi systems with a tape player, and I've got my Walkman as wow. well. You've got a Walkman from what, back in the day? Yeah, from when I was on my school bus. Wow! It survived. And all this stuff has survived. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it still it's, works. Because the th- thing people will say about cassettes is like, there's no durability to them, they, they stretch, they, they, you get a lot of... I think they, they're still great. Like, when I was in San Francisco uh, in July, I think it was, I bought this David Bowie 3 cassette mm-hmm. box set thing of... Um, it was called Sound and Vision, it was just all outtakes and rare versions and stuff. And it is the it's the clearest cassette I've ever bought. I don't know what format it is or what yeah. specific type of cassette it is, but it's clear as a CD, and they're in mint condition. And they're obviously like you know twenty something years old. Wow! And they've obviously been used as well. It was second hand, and it sounds absolutely crystal clear. Wow! So I guess it's just whether you've you know left it in the sun. I remember like in in school I did leave a tape in the sun, and I came back and it was melted. Well, literally melted. Literally melted onto the dashboard. <laughs> so I learned about, um, you know, cassette care. Is it something you're going to continue to do? Is it something you're going to continue to do, put stuff out on tape? Yeah. Uh, like they've all sold out, all the releases really? on a cassette, yeah. Like small runs, like 100 or whatever. But sure. I think that the kind of pop that I make, particularly for the last record of like 80s and 90s leaning sounds, like the audience for that kind of era really enjoy things like cassettes and vinyl and... Mm-hmm and CD, like physical products. It is interesting, you know, the, go back to that point, that, that people sort of forget about tape was that there was a period mm. early 90s where it wasn't the primary format but it was kind of the format by which pop music was because we lived in the world of the Sony Walkman you yeah. know what I mean and that was the thing that you got when you were a kid you know what I mean you didn't necessarily get a music centre or whatever yeah. and that was what you bought you know like you say records by the Pet Shop Boys yeah tapes by the Pet Shop Boys I guess the thing with the cassette is you can't DJ using it really no so like with a vinyl that would with, be the most hoxton yeah. in the show my age so again, that was my Shoreditch night out. Probably Dalston night. Dalston night Dalston, out. Somebody yeah. sat there with two cassettes. Yeah, that would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a hint of nostalgia for me just because I loved cassettes when I was growing up so much. Mm. And then I remember seeing someone put something on Facebook, like a picture that was a cassette tape and a pencil, and it was like, generations to come will not know the link between these two <laughs> items. And I was like, no, that's really sad, because that was like the thing when it would jamble in the like, tape player and you'd get the pencil out and you'd be like, yes, I did it, I saved the tape. <laughs> um, so for me, yeah, there's definitely a hint of nostalgia. And I think it's not, but it's not 100% because it is so good to release on tape when you're a label that wants to take risks and wants to put out as many releases as they love and there's a lot of people now starting tape labels who didn't grow up with cassettes Mm. who grew up with Napster and with CDs and so I think there's also a hint of novelty maybe if you're at a gig and you see a cassette tape on a merch stall if you Mm. don't go to that many shows and you're a little bit like what's that Mm. is that a cassette tape but um for me yeah it's it's a little bit of everything 
Is it easy to find places that manufacture? Because I mean, you can't, you can't go into a shop and buy a TDK D90 <laughs> as you could. Um, you know, I mean, that's. No. This is kind of a funny subject <laughs> because we all use one place called uh, the Tape Line. Right. And uh, since Cassette Store Day has started, they're basically stretched to their limit. They're running out of uh, <laughs> running out of cases. They're really? running out of like manpower to put, to duplicate these cassettes. Yeah, they're running out of patience. Uh, yeah. Cassette Store Day officially apologises to every other tape label. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we um, we asked them if they could be our unofficial sponsor, and we didn't want to do anything. We just wanted to give credit because we've been using them for years. And they said, "Please don't. <laughs> we do not want any more business." And, and is this is this based in in England? This place? Yeah, yeah it's like. Cheshire, maybe, or Stockport? I think one of the things that's continued with tapes, apart from noise and Indian punk rock, is talking tapes for elderly. Oh, right, yeah. Who haven't updated to CD yet. <laughs> CD? Uh, uh, or MP3s or anything like this. They still have those record players with the cassettes built in or a cassette mm-hmm. player in the kitchen. A talking book is easier for them on cassette. And that was, yeah. I think, only one major label carried on doing them, and they've been a success. Do people have the means to play cassettes these days? I mean, I still own a cassette deck as part of my hi-fi. Is it quite difficult to find the equipment to play them on? Do people have second-hand Walkman? What, what? I bought a new Walkman 18 months ago from Argos, because I put really? out my last one. So that was only 18 months ago, and they were still stocking them. Wow. I think we're really quick to think that cassettes have just died, like, like died like 10, 15 years ago. They only died in the kind of the mainstream shops not that long ago. Now mm. we don't really have any mainstream shops anymore with death of HMV. So it's <laughs> Philips still make a mini hi-fi with a cassette deck in it that you Did can that? get from Argos. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. T- hot tip. There is also a yeah. thing on, uh, certainly a market on eBay for old, you know, really high quality metal tapes and stuff mm. like that. Metal as in the, the stuff the tapes are made yeah. out of rather than the genre. And people pay, it's like hundreds and hundreds of pounds for boxes of unused blank metal, you know, TDK or whatever, that's or whatever kind of thing. I find it absolutely amazing. Tell us some of the people who are doing stuff for Cassette Store Day. Some quite big names and quite big labels have got involved. Yeah. yeah, not really sure how that happened. <laughs> yeah. um, got At The Drive-In, Flaming Lips, uh, Volcano Choir, which is Bonnevere, Deer Hunter, anyone else? Uh, Los Campesinos, Animal yeah. Collective, the yep. Pastels are doing something. Yep. something no Still one knows what. Still not sure what, yeah. What. <laughs> yeah. Um, Suicidal tendencies. Yes. Yeah, basically all of us know people that do cassette labels, and we all just reached out, and like the response was pretty outstanding. <laughs> Everyone, really? yeah. um, the admins got a bit out of control. I think. It's <laughs> up. Like it started with Steve sending an email round after Record Store Day, being like, I "Had this jokes idea at the weekend." cassette store day and we're like it was it was it was we were just gonna like so we emailed a few like tape labels in the uk that we're friends with Mm -hmm. and you emailed burger in the us and we're like oh cool we'll just do this little thing we'll do like a stall at rough trade or somewhere at like an indie label market and we can drink cans of beer all day and sell a few Mm -hmm. tapes and it'll be a fun little thing and then yeah belly union were like oh we're gonna do flaming lips (laughs) maybe we should email some bigger labels anything that cassettes don't have that records do is distribution channels lots of the distributors that will 
get the records out into the shops, we've had to do it later. The, the vast, the say the vast majority of labels just sell over the internet, do they? Sell over the internet or take them into. I mean, I, I I take mine physically to Rough Trade. I send them to Norman. I send them to all the different shops around mm. the country that stock me, and they'll take about five. So I do it myself. There's no distribution channel for it, and that's what makes Record Store Day easy. Uh, is that you know all of these distributors are just doing it. The labels release it, and it goes in like any other release. For us, it's been a lot of manual kind of kind of emailing every single person and yeah I think it's definitely confused a lot of bigger than labels <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, no, actually, they've had to go to back to post their these. Routes. I remember like when I first ordered these cassettes to make the first copy of the album on it, um, being able to choose the you know the length of the tape, mm. and it never crossed my mind growing up that you could customize the length of a tape. No. In my brain, it was like forty-five minutes each side. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was kind of you know amazing to be able to make something that was like forty minutes yeah. or like fifty-two minutes. I always remember thinking if an album didn't fit onto one side of a C90, it's too much indulgence. Yeah, you know, it's a sign of terrible indulgence on the part of this. It's a really different listening experience. It's kind of interesting. I get no pleasure from downloaded music. Really, no. it's useful for when you're traveling or for like an iPod or whatever. But I, I tend to forget music if I've bought it as a download. That's what it's a reaction against. Ultimately, it's yeah. against downloads. And it's almost more so than vinyl, because vinyl is this kind of lovingly curated thing yes. that's kind of, it's a, it's a very old man, not old manish, but do you know what I mean? It's got this kind of slightly tweedy thing going on. Yeah. It's very important to have it. It's like vinyl. a CD is like maybe like your brother or sister, the vinyl is like your dad or something, mm. and a cassette is like your weird aunt who's like <laughs> really cool and really chintzy, but like fabulous, but like no one really gets her. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. And when you say they're cheap to do, how much do they cost? I mean, I, I, what kind of runs do you do things in? Do you tend to do things in? Well, there's a little one here. All oh, right, brilliant. There's a hundred, and that costs everything, including download codes, a whole lot. That's probably about 110 pounds to do the whole run. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's yeah. genuinely um, that's genuinely incredible. It's nothing. Yeah. And if you want to do vinyl, you can usually like to get the art done with <laughs> the to get the art done with the record. You need a run of minimum like 250, which is going to cost you about 700 quid. This year and last year have been the, the growth in cassette labels, I think, has like got massive. Pretty much when we thought about getting in touch with other labels, we all knew probably about 20 cassette labels. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. And these are all different ones all over the world. Mm. Um, I'm trying to count my friends who don't have a cassette label. <laughs> yeah. stuff like. Maybe that's the circles you move in. Oh. Yeah, maybe. If you're a music fan, yeah. and there's so many bands about and so easy to find new bands as well because of the internet and you kind of want to become more involved in that and the easiest way to do that is to start a label. But maybe, you know, you've grown up watching films like Empire Records mm. and you don't yeah. want to just put something up on Bandcamp. You want yeah. a physical product that you can release and design. Yeah, there's no, there's certainly no romance in just in it. Oh, well, no. I've got a label. What have you done? I've put something on Bandcamp. It's like, yeah. 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 Tapes yeah. are the most romantic format. I mean, yeah. imagine if someone made you a mixtape. 
I'd be theirs. (laughs) (laughs) That was Alexis talking to Bright Light, Bright Light and the curators of Cassette Store Day, which is on September the 7th. That's this Saturday. It's time for Singles Club. New pencils at the ready. Let us hear Michael's track first. the unmistakable sound of the Pixies um, with their comeback single Indie Cindy I thought we needed to talk about the Pixies we do need Alexis. to talk about the Pixies. Um, for the song itself it's a perfectly serviceable Pixie song Pixie sounds, like, song. sounds a bit like something off Trump Le Monde I yeah think, I mean it's, it's, it's a bit tuneless in the verses and then gets into a, a melody when you come to the chorus but we didn't hear the melody in the excerpt that we just played some nice lines in there some <laughs> typical I think we all heard uh, NSFW <laughs> I believe is the uh, <laughs> I'm reminding me of John Peel saying on top of the pops that's big country putting the tree back into country <laughs> um, but I think the more interesting thing there because this is of course their first uh, these recordings that are coming out are without Kim Deal indeed uh, Black Francis said that the whole purpose of making them is to give them a reason to continue existing to yep. justify touring so after nine years to back together mm-hmm. really you can't Really, you can't. You're an oldies band, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. After nine years, unless you're putting new stuff out, I think the interesting point though is when does a band cease to be a band? I mean, because Kim Deal has now left the Pixies; these recordings don't feature her. The Pixies was always Black Francis songs, with the occasional Kim Deal song. Um, is it really the Pixies without her? Because a, a big chunk of what the Pixies were was the chemistry, especially between Kim Deal and Black Francis on mm, stage, mm. since Joey Santiago and David Lovering were fundamentally ciphers they were vacuums visually as far as we were watching it was all about the dynamics between the front two now without them is it just a black francis solo album which case you know we've had millions of those that we all ignored but the pixie's name makes them far Mm, more mm -hmm. interesting as a proposition I, I think this is a really intriguing case in point. Like the Who, are they still the Who? But it just being Daltrey and Townsend. Or should we be more like heavy metal fans who seem totally willing to accept mm. bands, you know, losing a lead singer and getting a different bloke? It's like the transfer market, the heavy metal scene. So it's a big heavy metal. Oh yeah, band. it's like you know, different drummer, different guitarist, different singer. You know, that are sort of various iterations of uh, you know Black Sabbath that there have been over the years. I don't know. Should we be more like that? I mean, is it a bit... I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know. That's why I'm raising it. I, I think it's a genuinely interesting question. I think it's true that people in the alternative rock um, scene are much more judgmental about what constitutes a band than people, certainly, yep. in metal. And, and in hip-hop, I guess, as well, you know, where you... I mean, you go to see the Wu Tang Clan. It's not the Wu Tang Clan of 1993, is it? Well, it's not ODB, but this. T- I mean, you, you know, mm. to be honest with you, whenever you went to see the Wu Tang Clan, you'd never you turned up anyway. Fairly, yeah, you know, confusing as to who turned up. Uh, isn't that just kind of because of the the lack of big characters or those identities? So, if you still kind of the concept of the band kind of 
continues despite those members not being there, then it can work. But if they're really huge characters, like Public Enemy would, would never work without Flavor Flav because Absolutely. he's such a kind of, he's the crux of that. So maybe it's just that those characters aren't big enough. Or they, yeah, or maybe, I mean, Kim, Kim Deal is, is an important part of the Pixies, certainly. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like a Pixies record. It sounds like a Pixies record. But then, the, as many people have said, for many years, he put Frank Black Francis as Frank Black put out records that sounded like Pixies records, but no one cared. And David, Joey Santiago played on half of them as well. You were, what one need, what you, somebody needs to do is just go through all Frank Black's solo albums, all of which, to my knowledge, all of them that I've heard, have like two stone-cold killers on, on every album, um, and just make a compilation of that, and that would be like a new Pixies album. Let us move on from the Pixies and Cindy, which is presumably a download, is it? Uh, th- there's a very limited edition vinyl recording, but yeah, you can get it from you get it as a download from their website. Let's move on to Kieran's choice. You get money, they started, hey, I woke up in a new Bugatti. I woke up in a new Bugatti. I woke up in a new Bugatti. I woke up in a new Again, let go that flow, bringing tragedy in. Cop me your chain, your salary spent. Niggas this week bring them cavities in. Counting money, hourly trend. Rolling them skinny like Austin twins. Niggas the squares, cabinet bins. Neck full of gold, Olympian shit. Demons don't blow in the check on the gear. A little bit of NSFW there, just as it faded out. Uh, again, uh, that is Ace Hood, Bugatti. I woke up in a new Bugatti. Yep. I mean, it's happened to all of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not again! Not again! Um, Kieran, Ace Hood. I'm unaware of Ace Hood. Yes. Um, well, I, I will tell you about him now. Alexis. Thank you, thank you. So, thank you. <laughs> uh, I thought that this was uh, worth bringing in because it's not actually that new, but it's definitely the rap track of the summer. Um, so if you guys you know, you know, are thinking about your songs... Of the summer in pop, it's probably, you know, in the vein of Bloodlines and Get Lucky and that kind of thing. But we're... Really? Yes, yes. Wow, okay. I've heard this. I've heard this from uh, the tweetersphere. Um, <laughs> but in rap in rap clubs, um, this this has been kind of the main the main song that's been played out. And the carnival after parties and the hip hop section of that, this is the one that's got okay. everybody very crazy. Um, so, uh, there's, I mean, there's a, a few other rap tracks that are definitely worthy of mention. Kendrick and Schoolboy Q's Collard Greens and um, ASAP Ferg's Shabba Ranks, Shabba Shabba Ranks, uh, which you probably heard kind of coming out of cars in South and East London if you're kind of about that way after dark. Uh, those those are kind of other, <laughs> those are kind of those other big tracks. I think though, this is the best one of those. Um, Ace, ha- Ace Hood is um, from Florida. He's signed to Cash Money, and this is from the album Trials and Tribulations. Um, and this track is produced by Mike Will made this who you kind of we've t- we've spoken about on the pod before mm-hmm. he's done stuff with Sierra and Kelly Rowland and kind of now moving into this um more hip hop uh, mainstream crossover stuff so influence of dubstep and EDM very clearly on that track. yeah i mean there, i mean there's a massive payoff isn't there i mean there's there's all those kind of tropes that are a little bit lame and actually this is probably so overplayed now it's as seen as you know a bit of a cheesy overplayed rap track right 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 um so you know it has you know that kind of autotune-esque type thing it's got you know the you know it's quite a good use of 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 of, of uh, the drop as they call it in EDM, I think I actually because so. it's, it's it's sort of using the drop as kind of the chorus of the rap track, and you know of a, of a rap track, listen to me, grand, <laughs> uh, of a hip hop track, and I actually think that's quite a clever 
you know, yeah. which is sort of build, 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 wallop, I work up in a new, you know what I mean? Yeah, that well, you can you can imagine well. what it feels like to be kind of in a club when this is played and, you know, people are like moshing and going crazy and it features Future and Rick Ross, who are two kind of very notable rappers at the moment. And then in true kind of hip-hop style, there's been another remix of this, which is also... Uh, you know, kind of melted the internet, to use a blog phrase, um, which features T.I. and French Montana and Meek Mill. So um, it, although it's kind of, it has that, <laughs> it has misogyny and it has all that kind of fetishizing stuff in the way that Jay-Z's Tom Ford track does, um, you know, all of that stuff that's going on at the moment. But I think it's still quite fun and also just quite funny. Um, is the rest of his album any good? It's okay. This is definitely the strongest. And he's kind of, you know, been do, working on stuff in the background for a while. I think, you know, his last album, I think, got to like number 43 in the Billboard chart or right. something. Right, so not so huge not by Not huge, but no. it's, you know, it's just a really good example of that one track really um, shining a light on someone's album. So you should listen out for it. Michael. It's interesting what uh, Alex was saying about it picking up on dubstep and EDM, because I, I thought this was a British record. At right. first, I didn't realize it was by an American. It just seemed... In fact, the mental image it summed up most vividly was one of those awful exploitation films set in the East End, probably starring Danny Dyer. And I, I, I can actually see the speeded-up sequence with Danny Dyer out of his head on coke, driving around East London at night and going and shooting someone to the accompaniment of this on the soundtrack. Interesting. But uh, I have woken up in a new Bugatti because uh, I used to have some shoes by Bugatti and I fell asleep in the morning. You had some Buga- Bugatti shoes? I had some Bugatti <laughs> shoes. Yeah. Wow, you balling, man. <laughs> um, I was about to say something hip on there as I don't know anything um, hip-hop, what, what, so I can't what, what, what say. What were they like? Were they shaped very, like cars? Very comfortable. They were shaped like cars. I, I suspect Bugatti didn't actually make them. I suspect the name was just imprinted on them. I got them from Sports Direct. Wow. Source of all the best shoes. Absolutely. Um, very cheap. Swag. Very, very comfortable. <laughs> very comfortable. And the reductions at Sports Direct are incredible that's fantastic thank you very much for that (laughs) (laughs) let's move on Uh, finally to my choice Garden's Heart by Natasha Khan, better known, of course, as Bat for Lashes, and John Hopkins. Um, I like Natasha Khan. I like John Hopkins. Um, I think John Hopkins in particular is a really, really, really good producer, and I would like to see him do... I mean, obviously, he has worked with Coldplay, and not so he doesn't really need to do bigger stuff than he does. But I, I think that his album, Immunity, which came out earlier this year, is, is brilliant and pretty overlooked. Uh, a really, really good sort of electronic album. Um, the album with King Creosote, I thought was absolutely magnificent. Um, and I just sort of I would really like uh, Natasha Khan to kind of have a big hit because <laughs> I think she's really talented and yet somehow it hasn't quite um, hasn't quite sort of translated into uh, mainstream success and um, I don't know if this is the record to do it but I think actually they work very very well together uh, it's from a film soundtrack which you can sort of tell you can see that over the end credits of something um, and um, yeah it's a nice song it's, it's, just, it's really beautiful. I, I think I, I must pay more attention to John Hopkins because I feel everywhere I go, someone is telling me the John Hopkins records are oh, fantastic. Mm. And I've just not paid enough attention. They've been on the turntable. I've been doing other things. And I've yeah, not it's, it's really music you really need to sort of pay attention to, I yeah. think, because it can just 
you know, into the background. But that's stunning. I mean, I think her voice is absolutely fabulous as well. I, I think also the way Bat for Lashes has changed and developed has been a, a kind of a really heartening story over the last five, six years. I saw it quite early on, and it seemed to me like, um, you know, bright and talented sixth form was given free reign in the arts lab at a well-off school and thought yeah well it's interesting but I don't, I'm not sure there's a lot actually at the heart of it but increasingly I think there is something fairly significant at the heart of what Natasha Khan does. I was convinced that first single off the last album Laura was going to be this sort of huge Radio 2 playlisted hit it's an absolutely brilliant kind of you know if you're going to write a mainstream piano ballad make one like that because it was a really good weird intriguing kind of take on that something and it just died on its ass. it did absolutely nothing Kieran yeah I thought The Haunted Man was one of my favourite albums of last year and that single All Your Gold particularly was one That's of really my favourite singles I thought she sounded great on it I think she's got a really beautiful voice which kind of it lends itself to sounding a little bit operatic at times and then also like very cool and drawn out and melodic like on this track here um, I really like her. There's kind of all these elements as well on the album that are clearly influenced by like Iranian and Persian folk music, and it's really kind of drawn out, very beautiful. Quite on this, it, it's quite um, slow moving, but she she always strikes me as an artist that has a lot of control over her voice, and she's got incredible yeah. range. And it sounds like you know, she, she, I think she has a classical background, doesn't she, or something like that. She, she might she plays do, yeah. Instruments. I know she's like she's called a multi instrumentalist in PR speak, right? Um, but I, I think she you can really hear that in her voice because there's lots of tone, lots of range, and lots of control and she sounds beautiful on this so I like her a lot I'm, I'm always suspicious when I see the phrase classically trained in press release because I'm pretty sure what it might probably means is yeah they've got grade 3 piano it's more Ra- than I've got Ra- rather <laughs> so, than rather than yes worked under Vladimir Ashkenazi <laughs> <laughs> but I think that I only care about that when you can hear it in the track mm. you know Absolutely. Well, um, that, that, uh, that's out on YouTube. You can find the, the video. That's very good, rather uh, nice. weird video. Uh, it's for, for How it. I Live Now. It's the yes, film. absolutely. That's three thumbs up for that that's one. Three mate. thumbs up for that. We all liked it. And that is Singles Club. <laughs> this weekend is best of all. Kieran. Festival. You're going. Are you festival day? You've been to every festival. I mean, in the I'm world. pretty festival now. How many have you been um, to this one? Well, this is going to be my fifth one, including wow. Glastonbury, I think, which is. Um, it has been quite hard work. You guys can see the video series online at oh, the moment. You, you at Green Man is one of my favourite things ever, <laughs> especially you spend most of the video pulling faces while confronted by yet another bearded person with an acoustic guitar. It's it's just so... I mean, you would have loved it. There's so many, like, beardy people and, like, ale drinking. Just, you oh, know, yes, just your so face <laughs> when you try the real ale at Green Man as well. Is that real ale? <laughs> no, it was, it was buzz. Anyway, um, yeah, so I went to uh, Glastonbury with with you, Alexis. Indeed. Which was, which was wicked. You met Johnny um, Rotten. I met Johnny Rotten, did a selfie with him. The which selfie was with Johnny Rotten. It's my favourite photo of the summer, your, your selfie with Johnny Rotten. Thank you. Um, I saw D'Angelo at Lovebox, which was definitely a highlight for me. Sounded really great. I was kind of... You know, sometimes you have that a relationship with an artist that, you ha- you know, there's... I love him as an R&B singer, but then, you know, he had you know some tumultuous stuff in his career and you're kind of waiting with bated breath as they perform and you're kind of really egging them on and really willing them to do well and I had that experience before he came on and he was just great the band were really tight his voice sounds kind of beautiful and 
as good as it ever has. So that was really great. That's cool. Um, and then I also went to um, Green Man and WOMAD, and then best of all, this weekend. How was WOMAD? WOMAD was all right. It's, uh, it's not the same without you, Alexis. No, no, no. My, my howling children. Lee <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, um, Scratch Perry and um, all of that kind of stuff. Yep. Same kind of stuff. It was, it was all right. It was okay. Excellent. Who are we looking forward to at Best of All? Wu-Tang Clan. Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah the, yeah, the final sort of hurrah. It's like the last, <laughs> meant to be all of the Wu-Tang Clan turning up. Yeah. Well, I believe it when I see it. True. But... Even if they're not all there, the, they're bangers, aren't they, those tracks? So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, 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 yes, absolutely, yes. I, I, it, it sort of can't fail. Absolutely. Snoop Dogg. Snoop, Snoop Dogg. Dogg. Not, Snoop I mean, it says in the poster, Snoop Dogg, not Snoop Lion. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he's going to be doing... Bow, wow, wow, yippee, yo, yippee, yay. <laughs> isn't that amazing? Isn't it? It's just like having him in the studio, isn't it? Incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah! If he's going to be doing that sort of thing, um, you know, or if he's going to be doing his... Uh, Terrible reggae album. <laughs> I, hasn't he billed as, been billed as Snoop Dogg quite a lot when he's actually done his terrible reggae album as well? I would be. I think it would be interesting if he did a sort of mix. I think so too. I mean, you can't headline on the on the back of Snoop Lion, can you? Surely, fruit I mean, juice. The terrible <laughs> yeah. fruit juice. I, I think he's uh, he's Snoop. I think he probably does what he wants, regardless of. Uh, yeah, this is true. But I think the best of all crowd are, are definitely gonna. I think you're going to want, I think we want, you know what I mean, gin and juice, (laughs) rather than fruit juice. (laughs) Wow, gin and juice, not fruit juice. I'm going to make a little sign. Realist talk of your life, Alex. Yeah, yeah, real talk. (laughs) MIA is also playing. I'm really intrigued to see, because MIA's album has been sort of, uh, you know, uh, in development hell. Yes. You know, the record label keeps sort of sending it back, and I presume after our last one, they're like, why don't you write some tunes? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, always sort of, one of those intriguing people, MIA. I wonder if there are any tunes. Yeah, that's the important thing, isn't it? What we all want, really, is another track like Paper Planes. Not sounding like Paper Planes, but with that, you know, with that kind of um, oomph, you know? She's she's done good stuff from them, I think. Uh, Um, I'm also looking forward to seeing Cyril Han, who um, has been signed to PMR and playing at Best of All. Um, He had that big track out, Perfect Form, which which has been kind of sampled lots and kind of NTS radio and Is he playing kind of live places. or is he DJing? I think he's DJing uh-huh. which will be good um, he, he did that really big remix last year of uh, Destiny's Child Say My Name Oh that one yes, yes. absolutely yeah, right. okay, exactly. cool. so um, that should be good as well I think um, There is DJ wise uh, Fatboy Slim's sort of birthday is is, is happening don't yeah. know what that, that's third on the bill that's the third name on the bill after Elton John Snoop Dogg and then Fatboy Slim it's, very oh, best, it's best all your mates act. playing all my pals there you go Snoop Dogg my close <laughs> personal friend my ride or die homie Snoop Dogg um, uh, and uh, Weatherall uh, uh, friend of the pod, um, is, and Rodigan, and Rodigan, voice. friend of the pod. So it's a lot of lot of friends of the pod playing. Um, Rodigan seems to be the big, like I mean, I suppose you know wherever Rodigan goes, Rodigan is the big hit. But last year at Best of All, Rodigan's uh, tent on the Friday afternoon was um, off the hook. Yeah, you, you couldn't get in it. I mean, it was like you know half past four on a Friday afternoon, and you couldn't actually get in the tent. Wow. Um, and it was like, and it was young. It wasn't. Yeah. You know, he, it was, he played it, at Love Box, and it was a similar. And it was, he was playing kind of, you know, seventies yeah. um, dub and shouting. It was brilliant. <laughs> I, I keep it. People, Tim Jones complained about Glassbury about so many things. Oh yeah, it's not that you couldn't get in the tent. You couldn't even get near the tent to see them. I don't understand why festivals put things on 
when there are too many people to see these things. I went to End of the Road this because weekend, they, oh, and right. you could always get into everything. But did they? The but was there nothing the on the bill matched each other? Yeah, well. but I mean, it's to do with booking people. You know, months and months. The, the famous one at Glastonbury was uh, Disclosure. Yeah. And when Disclosure played, it wasn't that you couldn't get near the tent. You couldn't get in the dance village. You couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. It was totally logged. Out. But that's because they've obviously booked Disclosure, you know, at the start of the year. And since Before then, they've become, become huge. Well, like, you know. brief, yeah. brief, brief, oh, sorry, I know we're talking about Bestful, but End of the Road. Money. What a band. What a live band. Really? Go and see them if you get a chance. Great. Wow, OK, Money. Mm. Um, and then on the Sunday night, uh, best to go back to best we have Sir Elton John and his band, which I'm looking forward that to enormously. Gonna so it's going to be mega because um, I've said it before, I'll say it again. He just pulls out the hits and he's got lots of them, and you're going to be in a field full of people who've been up all weekend. And, you know, he's not going to come on and perform his new album, which is actually very good, but very sombre record. Th- there appears to be a real buzz what? about his new album. It's a really, well, I yeah. think the interesting thing about his album, his new album, is that it's kind of a mature piece of work. It's in the same way that Dylan's more recent stuff. And he's made all these records recently that have been basically, you know, striving to get back to his 70s sound. And this is not that. This is him playing with a really small band and it's all piano and there's weird instrumental interludes. And it's all these kind of very sombre reflections on ageing and da-da-da-da-da. Not really what you expect from Elton John. Yeah, However, he's going to come on and do I'm Still Standing, Rocket Man. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess that's why I call it the blues. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Yeah. My personal favourite tune. Good. It's going to be, uh, you know, brilliant. He's also, I think might dress up yeah what do you think of the online conspiracy theory that um the current tabloid mania on elton john is just hype for the new album what tabloid mania is that there's an amazing story on the front of the uh <laughs> at the front of the uh, daily star past yeah yes, it's, uh, it's yes. uh, elton john in uh, sir elton uh in uh 60 pill suicide did <laughs> yeah. yeah in 1975 uh, yeah exactly it, that. It, it, well, well it would be fair to say that elton's publicist is fairly well tied into the tabloid uh newspaper way of doing things given He's married to Jane Moore, the Sun's columnist. Indeed, so. mm-hmm. Sir Gary Farrow. There you go. He's not a knight. No. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there you go. But no, I think um, you know actually Elton sort of uh, really good booking. I think it is is the kind of perfect thing for a Sunday. It's like one of those old Sunday, old fashioned Sunday Glastonbury headliners where they, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. just have a sort of a big old heritage artist. He's still really good life. That's it for this week. Our thanks as ever to Michael Han for uh, being our third wheel. Third wheel? You're nobody's Ooh. third wheel, Michael. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Jack to your Manny and Mo. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Rennie to our Manny and Brownie. <laughs> I'm the Cressa. You're the Cressa. You're the, cre- the, cre- the Michelle to our Beyonce. Beyonce, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. As ever, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly for more info on the show and links to Singles Club. Kieran and I will be back next week with Mr. Nicky Wire. Take care. <laughs>